Can you please uh, welcome him up here? All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, having us here. We greatly appreciate it. It's nice to uh, get to meet some of you, re-meet some of you again. Um, real quickly, we are um, David and Michelle Wares. If you all could stand up so everyone could see you. Um, Sorry. So two things. Uh, junior church is dismissed. You guys can go downstairs. I apologize for that. But you guys keep standing up. Um, <laughs> so the one in the pink, Zoe, can you turn around and just wave at everyone? That's Zoe. That's our youngest. Um, our tallest is um, Alethea. She's our oldest daughter. She just recently outgrew her mom. Um, then there is Elijah, and uh, he is a, loves espresso. How many of you like espresso? Any of you? Okay, good. Um, there's some spiritual people in here. And then um, our middle daughter is Karis. And, uh, of course, uh, Michelle is the mom to all of them and myself. Um, just joking. I'm actually a little more mature than that, but, um, but not much. Um, our goal is uh, currently we are living in Portugal. Um, we are missionaries there. Our desire is to start a church in the town of Alcochet similar to this one. In this picture above, you'll see um, this is before COVID and all of that. Um, we had some classmates, some of my classmates from language school um, over. It was very interesting interaction. Um, when you learn a second language, you start to second guess everything you believe. Um, how many, um, real quick poll, how many of you believe there are seven continents? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you believe there are six? Uh, okay, we got one brave soul over here. Well, depending on where you're from, there's only six continents. North America, South America is considered one continent. Russians tend to think of, um, think of Europe and Asia as one singular continent. Um, so when you learn a language uh, and in different culture, all kinds of obvious things that you thought you knew, you questioned. And it was interesting as we got to interact with different people um, from university, um, people from China, um, from Northern Africa, from the Middle East, uh, made some great friends with, um, on the right of this picture above me is um, the guy in the black shirt is Krut, um, and, and uh, towards the back of that picture in the turquoise sort of shirt is his wife, Dada. Um, we made a pretty good friendship with him. I did uh, before COVID, kind of considered me uh, like a dad. But in the middle, there's my Portuguese tutor, uh, Luis, and uh, his wife, Joana. And um, we've made some really good friendships with them. Um, they continue. We get together with them occasionally. They tutor our children, um, and we have some great interactions with them. Um, 
we think that they are pretty open to the gospel. Um, it's again culturally things are different, so the approach is um, a little different. Use a little more hesitation with approaching people. But if you would be in prayer for um, Joanna and um, Luis, um, that the Holy Spirit would work in their hearts, prepare them for the gospel, and help us as well to be able to ask um, sincere, probing questions that they would be able to make a genuine profession. It's not good enough to just real quickly repeat, hey, do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was buried and come back to life? Um, Jesus didn't do that. Um, He took time to really get to know people, ask those deep questions to find out where they were spiritually And that's what we want um, to do with those individuals and the people we meet. The town that we plan to go to is Alcochet, Portugal. It's spelled A-L-C-H-O-T-E. Wait, no. Did I misspell it? Okay. A-L-C-O-C-H-E-T-E. And uh, it has about 20,000 people in it. Um, There are zero evangelical churches there. Um, There are a couple of other non-evangelical groups there. There's um, a Catholic church and a kingdom hall. Um, We hope to be used of God to start the first evangelical church in the town of Alcochet. the, uh, the work there is uh, going to be interesting. A lot of work, a lot of effort. People are um, more cautious. They're super friendly in Portugal. Um, but we plan to start a church there with, um, and this photo, let me see. If, so this gentleman here, this is Wesley Allen Carr. He's a Brazilian minis- uh, missionary. We are hoping to team up and start a church there in Alcochet. One of the um, benefits of having Wesley join us is he speaks Portuguese super well, much better than I do. Um, But on the flip side, um, we have better supporters than he does. Um, We're in a better position of support. It's easier um, for us to gather support than, say, uh, Pastor Wesley. When Pastor Wesley moved to Portugal, um, the Portuguese, uh, the Brazilian euro, the Brazilian dollar equivalent um, would get him 50 cents in Europe. When we left, it only got him 25 cents. So we are privileged with the fact that we have good, faithful supporters, and we are currently looking for more churches to partner with us so that we might be able to move into Alcochet. Alcochet is a more expensive community. Um, Our rent is going to go from $800 a month to about $1,500 a month. And I know what you're thinking, $1,500 a month, mid-Michigan, you're going to live like a king. That will be for an apartment, not for a house. Um, So um, there's usually not a lot available and it's very difficult to get a three- to four-bedroom 
um, uh, apartment as well. Usually it's a one, maybe two bedroom apartment. So if you would be in prayer for us about, um, about our ministry in Portugal, how maybe you as a church could potentially partner with us, we would greatly appreciate that. On the, um, by the welcome table, there are some prayer cards that we have to help you remember to pray, about, uh, pray for us, pray for Alcachet, and just a few statistics about churches um, in Portugal on the back side. As a side note, we, um, when we were in Portugal, we moved to Portugal in 2019, uh, the end of 2018, November, December of 2018. And so um, while we were in Portugal, we had quite a few crazy things uh, go on with our family. Um, in fact, Europe had this um, weird virus thing going on. Um, called COVID-19. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. Um, but uh, it really affected ministry quite a bit, um, interacting with people, that sort of thing. And if you had a hard time hearing people speak in English um, here with masks on and those barriers, you have to imagine how much more difficult it was to do that in a second language that you're struggling to learn. And so that was one of the things that we, we dealt with. Beside that, we had um, a few other things um, in 2020 that were incredibly difficult for us. Um, our youngest, uh, me and uh, our daughters, we all have um, a genetic heart condition um, called uh, long QT syndrome. Um, basically, um, I mentioned to someone earlier, um, I have no sense of rhythm. If you saw me clap, trying to clap, trying to clap earlier, you'll notice I was watching the person in front of me for when their hands went together. Then I went to put. I have no rhythm whatsoever. Even my heart is out of rhythm. Um, but one of the symptoms of that is passing out seizures or um, sudden cardiac arrest. Our youngest daughter, Zoe, um, she had one of those situations where she passed out ended up wanting to put an internal loop recorder in her um, surgery in a foreign country. They did that. Long story short, they took out the stitches. She passed out, and um, it came up, though, that uh, there was nothing wrong with her heart. So that was um, both a challenge and a blessing for us. One of our other um, children, um, well, uh, in March of 2020, my wife's niece passed away. She flew to the States uh, for a bit to um, be with family, that sort of thing. In July of 2020, our middle daughter um, was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder that basically um, um, killed the insulin-producing part of her pancreas. And so as a result of that, um, she is insulin-dependent now. And uh, she was in the emergency room. She was in the hospital for about a week. Um, and so that was kind of tough, challenging for our family. And then um, in November of 2020, um, 
my mother-in-law ended up having a stroke and um, that ended up being quite difficult for the family. She's doing better now. We've got all of that under control. But let me say, all of that stuff was incredibly difficult for our family. Um, just an in and of itself. You compound that with COVID and quarantines or isolations, uh, confinements, and that also made things difficult. Living in a foreign country, um, you don't know a lot of people, and so you kind of miss out on um, the strengthening encouragement that you get um, from people that you know. And so 2020 was really, really challenging. I share that all with you to say that oftentimes when um, people share those things, um, when, when, when people know about those things, they will say, hey, you know, you just got to keep the faith. And, or, or they'll say something like, just, just have faith, everything's going to be okay. And in me, in my analytical mind, I go, what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean to just have faith? And one of the go-to obvious places is Hebrews chapter 11. And as we look at that, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love, your kindness, your mercy. I pray that you would work in hearts. And uh, I just thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we define faith, let me check one thing real quick. I apologize. As we define, um, look at this whole subject of faith, we stop and have to wonder what is faith. And it seems like you have a clear definition of what that faith is. Faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. But in my mind, that still doesn't clarify a lot. That still doesn't give me anything I can hang my hat on. And as I was looking at this concept of faith and what does substance and what does um, things hope for mean, this is the conclusion I came to. 
it's like a receipt for when you go to McDonald's. How many of you have been to McDonald's before? Raise your hand. Okay, good, about everyone. When you go to McDonald's, this is the process. You go to the cash register. You tell them what you want. You give them your credit card or money. And then typically, they give you a receipt. That receipt is faith. That's your confidence that you know you're going to get what you ordered. Everything that is on there is what you're going to get in a few minutes um, when you wait in line. And that is essentially what faith is. It's, it's confidence. It's like that receipt you get from McDonald's. And you look at that receipt, and it tells you exactly what you're going to get. The second aspect of that is um, the idea of hoped for. The idea of hope for isn't how we typically think of it. Typically, the idea of hope for or hope in Scripture is something very concrete, something very absolute. So oftentimes when we think of hope for, we go, like we might cross our fingers and we go, I hope Michigan State beats Michigan, uh, University of Michigan. Okay, that's, and there's a lot of hope in that, right? It's not an absolute statement, but we hope for that. But it's no guarantee. But in Scripture, it's a guarantee. It's almost, it's the equivalent of a promise. I have hope in Christ for salvation. I have promises in Scripture that I will be saved based on these other things. And so faith is having confidence in Christ, having confidence in something that they will fulfill what they said they will fulfill. And the example of McDonald's. I go to McDonald's and I have confidence that they will fill, fulfill their order. I have proof of that with my receipt. And they have made a promise that they're going to give me food for my money. Now, of course, all of that also depends on the character of McDonald's. If they lie to people all the time, it's probably not going to work. But so our, our confidence is in people and things is really dependent on their character, on who they are. And so having faith in God is so, so important because he is reliable. He's someone that can be trusted. There's a second aspect to this idea of faith, and it's evidence. Um, The second aspect of it is the evidence of things not seen. Let me ask you this. How many of you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you? Okay, if you are a believer, you should have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Now, can I see the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you? No. Pastor Gruss is quite a bit more spiritual than me. Can he see the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you? No. Who's the only person that can see that? 
God, right? This is where the other aspect of faith comes into play. I can't see the Holy Spirit in you, but I can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in you, or I can see the lack of evidence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Follow with me real quickly in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Or Now the works of the flesh are revealed, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, immolations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresy, beings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I have told you in the past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. At Allegan um, Allegan Bible Church, you guys, along with me, we believe that we are saved by faith, not by works. Am I correct? Okay. This passage here seems contrary to that. It says, if you do these things, you don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. You don't um, go to heaven. The, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. So how does that work? My understanding is that when someone is not saved, when someone does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and they are living in the flesh, that they will produce certain evidences. God doesn't need those evidences to see what's going on in your heart. He can see that. And so, because he doesn't need those evidences, he can look and see, okay, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You don't. You're saved. You're not. But, for the world, for unbelievers, they can't see those evidences. And so what people see is that those works are an evidence of you not being a believer, of you not being saved. Again, it's not that you're not saved because of those things, but we can only decipher that based on the evidence that is presented, based on your works. The passage goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And so the evidence of our salvation is that we have love, joy, peace, etc., etc. That does not mean that if you show love, that if you have joy, if you have peace, you're saved. Rather, it's the idea that those should be byproducts. That should be the evidence of what God has already done in you, of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. Now, how does all of this fit together with being in hardships and, and, and crises in, in your own personal life? 
Well, first of all, you have to put your faith and your confidence in Christ regarding what he actually says. Like, there is nowhere in Scripture where the Bible says that my daughter will be healed. So I don't have confidence in God that he will heal my daughter. There is evidence in Scripture that God can heal. And so my confidence is that God can heal my daughter. And it's very important to understand this, that we don't put our confidence in things God never promised, that God never guaranteed, that we only put our confidence in God for the things that he guarantees, that he says he will do, or based on his character. The second aspect of this is that when we come across hardships, when we come across difficult times in our lives, we ought to um, display for others what is going on inside of us. We ought to display the good works that are in us. Uh, Display the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us by living a life that is reflective of that, presenting those evidences. Now, we can do all of that and think, okay, so that's going to make my life better, right? Wrong. Faith is unique. And it's different for each individual. A couple examples of this is Abel and Enoch. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Abel offered a great sacrifice, a tremendous sacrifice. God was pleased. He did everything right. And the result of faith in his life was he was killed. It's not how we would expect that to go. But then you contrast that with the next verse of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You see, the interesting thing here is that you have two men that lived a life of faith, that lived a life with confidence in God. And yet, the way their life turned out was completely different. Faith in God does not guarantee you will get the circumstances that you want. In fact, that kind of misses the whole point of faith in that you're putting your confidence in God and Christ. Faith is exempt of circumstances. For some, everything may go exactly the way they want it to. For others, it may not go at all the way you want it to. Both men were righteous. Both men were um, faithful men. Different circumstances. And we, as believers, must be careful not to compare ourselves to others. 
We must be careful not to go, hey, you know, I'm like doing this for God. I am trusting God for all these things. Why do these bad things keep happening? Because God is sovereign, and he is in control, and he does what he wishes. And likewise, I'm doing all that I'm supposed to be doing for God. I have confidence in him. Why do all these things, great things happen? Because God is sovereign. He is in control. So lastly, what are the ultimate results of faith? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Okay? The only way that we can please God is with confidence in him. In fact, when we have confidence in him, we make God happy. We, we have a good relationship with God at that point in time. That is an awesome result. That is a good result. But there's a second thing. And it almost contradicts the last points that I was making. But it doesn't. With faith, with confidence, there are rewards. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God will reward. That is a part of having confidence in God, knowing that he will reward us. And I think oftentimes we tend to shy away from the idea that um, we try to be cautious about the prosperity gospel, and that if we do what God wants, we'll have all kinds of riches. But the reality is, we may not have those rewards in this life. We may never see a reward. Abraham saw some of his rewards in that he saw his son born, but he never saw the fulfillment of the great nation. Likewise, in our lives, we may never see the benefits of having confidence of God. During trials, during great times of our lives, during times of prosperity. But know this, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, if you have confidence in God, you should assume also that you will be rewarded some point in time, whether it's in this life or it's in eternity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. And we just pray that you'd be honored and glorified in our lives, that you would help us to be mindful that you're in control, that you're sovereign, that regardless of the circumstances in life, that you do those things, that you provide those things because you see them best for us, for eternity, for the kingdom. Help us, Lord, one, to, um, to put our faith in you for salvation. You've promised salvation if we put our confidence in the fact that Christ 
died and was buried um, and came back to life. But I pray also that we would have so much confidence in you that we wouldn't be distracted by others and by what's going on in the lives of others, that we would trust you regardless of what's going on in the lives of others. Know that you have a perfect plan for our own lives and that you will reward us. In Jesus' name, amen.